In 2003, I published this book, Seeking the Shepherd's Arms, Reflections from the Pastoral Side of Life. This is a collection of some of my newsletter articles and some of my other writings, uh, writings that were important to me at the time as I was collecting them and putting them together, writings that reflected upon the nature of ministry and what it meant to be in ministry with God's people in the church and in the, in the mission field. This applies not just to those who are preachers or pastors, but for anyone who is involved in mission or ministry in the church. So I collected these articles dealing with many different subjects, and I included within this collection some of my poems, including the poem which this book is named after, Seeking the Shepherd's Arms. I wrote this poem in 1995. I wrote this poem the year after I was ordained elder, in a time of extreme depression. I had thought that being ordained elder would be the most important step in my life in ministry. I was looking forward to being ordained elder. I was excited about the prospect of being ordained. It had been a long journey of education and study, jumping through various boards and agency hoops, getting passed by district committee and ordained ministry and board of ordained ministry. It was an exciting time, and I thought, oh, once I get ordained elder, everything's going to go great and wonderful. And then I was ordained elder, and the reality of ministry started to settle in on me harder and harder and harder. I was pastor at Cockrell Hill in Oak Cliff at the time, and while there, in the course of just three months, I buried seven church members. It's hard enough to do a funeral a month, but to do three, uh, seven funerals in three months was devastating to me. Not only did I have to say goodbye to people whom I loved deeply, but it devastated the congregation, the family of faith that I was serving as pastor. As one after another after another died in quick succession, unconnected to each other's deaths, they just died. Illness, old age, cancer, an accident, bang, 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 bang. It was horribly painful. And I crashed into a dark night of the soul, a, a time of depression, which I wondered what in the world this was all about. Why was I doing this? Is this thing called ministry worth living and doing? Or does it matter at all? Does it matter at all that I proclaim the gospel? Does anybody listen? Does anybody care? Is there any meaning in what I am doing? That's true for all of us. It's a question that we could all ask as we reach out to our community. As we feed the hungry and clothe the naked, we can see an immediate product in the ministry that we conduct, but do they hear and do they listen and do they receive the grace of God in the midst of our ministry? I was struggling with, frankly, my calling, long after being ordained an elder, a year later I was still in the depths of it, but I had some glimmers of light. And with the glimmers of the light at the end of the tunnel and praying that it wasn't the train coming at me, I wrote this poem, Seeking the Shepherd's Arms. 
I find myself seeking or perhaps just dreaming from night to night again about a calm quiet that can silence the riot and give me peace within. The noise of this life cuts like a knife, my tattered, worn-out soul. The needs of so many and their fears aplenty leave me battered and cold. How am I to truly hear God's quiet voice so near without an inward peace? How am I to truly speak God's holy word each week when no one cares the least? In the shepherd's loving arms, free from all the loud alarms, is peace for a pastor's soul. And though I sometimes run away, and though I sometimes go astray, the shepherd's arms will hold me in the fold. We need the shepherd's arms. We need the arms of the shepherd holding us tightly. Sometimes when I'm trying to control my basset hound Fanny, she wiggles and fights and struggles to get away. That's us as the sheep trying to get away from our shepherd, wiggling and struggling. But he holds us close and safe, no matter how hard we struggle. And when we go astray and wander far from the way that God would have us go, He comes seeking us, searching us, calling out our name. And if we will listen, we'll hear Him. And if we'll turn to Him, He'll put out His arms and we can run and jump into them and nuzzle and be safe in the shepherd's loving embrace. Regardless of the insanity of our lives, regardless of the loud insanity of our living, we can have security knowing that the shepherd's arms are there to gather us in and hold us safe and warm and protected from all the trials of this life. This message of the Good Shepherd is one that was a critical part of the early church's experience. You see, the early church existed below ground, both figuratively and literally. It existed in a time of persecution when the empire, the Roman Empire, the power of the day was seeking to arrest them and try them and murder them, execute them for failing to worship the emperor, for worshiping this strange god Jesus, whom the empire had put to death. Christianity was an underground, illegal religion. And if you were caught during the times of persecution, if you were caught, you'd be put to death. And so the message of the Good Shepherd was very, very important during the first several centuries of the church. The Good Shepherd, who stands between the sheep and the wolf, the good shepherd who stands to protect the flock, the good shepherd who seeks out the lost sheep and gathers the lost herd in and protects them 
from the ravenous animals. This message can be seen in the artwork of the first several centuries. I took this picture in the catacombs in Rome. This is the catacomb of Priscilla in Rome. It's on the ceiling of the catacomb. And if you wonder what a catacomb is, it's a tomb, my friends. The, the, the tombs, the, 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 the underground underneath Rome is littered with these tunnels, and people are buried in these tunnels in family chapels, in family alcoves. They're called the catacombs. And because the church was illegal, they had to descend to these catacombs to worship in groups. They worshiped there for so long, they established altars. And areas were known as the church areas of various communities. And they would do artwork in them, like this one here. A picture of the Good Shepherd from the 200s A.D. From the 200s A.D., the 3rd century. This was painted in the catacomb of Priscilla. It's not the only one. In the catacomb of Calixtus, there's this one, also depicting Jesus as the good shepherd. But you notice something about both of these. This one and this one, they both depict Jesus as a young man, no beard, a young shepherd with the sheep on around his shoulders and sheep on either side but a young man. And many scholars have said, well, that's based upon imagery of Apollo. Yes, it probably is, but the story behind it has been given its root and its basis in John's story about the good shepherd, where Jesus says that I am the good shepherd. The calling to know that Jesus is our good shepherd is the basis behind which this imagery became very important in the early church during the time of persecution, during the second and third century. In John chapter 10, Jesus says at verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's what he's doing there. He's gathering the sheep in. He's protecting the sheep from the wolves. He's standing between the ravenous animals and his beloved herd to protect them from evil. This image was critical for the church during its first several centuries before the church was recognized by the empire and made legal and then made the religion of the empire. This image of Jesus was the most popular image it's the most popular one in the catacombs from that period. Jesus, the good shepherd. Beginning in the 400s, however, after the church had been legalized, beginning in the 400s, a different image began to replace the good shepherd image. An image of Jesus that's more like what we're used to seeing. This image. This is Jesus Christ, the teacher or Christ Pantocrator in Greek. This is actually the oldest depiction of this particular image of Jesus. Here you see him, his fingers are in blessing, and he's holding the Gospels in one arm. 
It comes from St. Catherine's Monastery at the foot of Mount Sinai, and it dates to the 500s A.D. It's one of the oldest icons in existence today. Christ Pantocrator, Christ the Teacher. Beginning in the 400s and on into the 500s and 600s and beyond, this particular icon and this particular image and message about Jesus as our teacher became the more important image that was proclaimed, the more important message that was proclaimed, more so than this. And yet, it's this, the image of Jesus as our Good Shepherd that speaks to me in times of darkest despair, in times of deepest gloom. It's the message of Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, that I turn to when I feel lost, when I'm in pain, when I am wondering what it is all about. Yes, I turn to Christ the Teacher, that's very important, but Christ the Good Shepherd is where I turn for comfort. To know that He stands between me and the ravenous animals of this universe. Between me and the ravenous animal that my own sin can be is comfort for me. One of the things about being a pastor is that even though you leave churches and go on to new churches, your relationship with the people you leave behind never ends. You still love them, you still care for them, you pray for them. You are no longer their pastor, but you are their friend. And sometimes, on occasion, you're asked to come back and either participate in or actually preach in a funeral. Yesterday, I had both the honor, the joy, and the anguish of preaching at a funeral for a dear friend of mine named Tim. Tim was a member of Seagoville United Methodist Church. Tim was a dear soul. He volunteered for everything. He was always ready and willing to work. He was a participant as a fourth-day participant in Emmaus. He had served on a couple of walks. He was a dear soul. But see, Tim's wolf, Tim's ravenous animal, was alcoholism. Tim struggled with being sober continually, again and again, always, every day. He struggled with the demon of alcoholism. And the thing about Tim was he wouldn't give up. Tim would stumble, he would fall, he'd fall off the wagon, he'd start drinking again, and he'd pick himself back up, get back up, and get going again, proclaiming faith in Jesus. And then sure enough, something would happen, and he'd stumble and he'd fall. The period of time when he was most sober, for the longest period of time, for a couple of years, was when he was the constant companion and friend of a man named Lloyd. Lloyd was blind. He'd be developed blindness from diabetes. Lloyd was blind, but he had more sight than most of us here today. He could see inside you. He'd look at you with those blind eyes, and he was looking through you into your soul. 
Well, Tim was his physical eyes. Tim would carry him places in his car. He'd go shopping with him. Lloyd would help out setting up candles for the candlelight service. Never saw a blind man check to see if candles were actually going to work or not, a battery-powered candle. But Lloyd could do it. But Tim was his eyes. They grew close together. They were close brothers together. They depended upon each other. Lloyd kept Tim stable. Tim gave Lloyd physical sight. But then Lloyd died. And Tim spiraled out of control again and again and again. Tim needed the arms of the good shepherd, the arms of the shepherd of his soul. We all need the arms of the shepherd. And the good news is it doesn't matter how far we go away, it doesn't matter how long we stray, it doesn't matter where we go, no matter what it is, the good shepherd will gather us in. The good shepherd will gather us in and carry us home. That's what the message today proclaims in 1 Peter. Think about it. In John's gospel, you had this statement about Jesus being the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep, and that's exactly what Jesus did. He laid down his life for us all. And Peter, reflecting upon this, pulls out the importance of this. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Jesus went to the cross accepting the punishment that we merit, that we deserve for our sin. But as a sinless offering, he was able to sacrifice himself for us. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. We say that, you know, he went to the cross for us and we'll say it so glibly and we're not really thinking about it, but think about it for a moment. It means that no matter what you've done, no matter where you are, no matter how far you've wandered away, he has died for you. That was the message we talked about throughout Lent. We talked about it during Holy Week. We talked about it on Easter, what the resurrection proclaims to us. Well, my friends, we can't forget it. Doesn't matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, Jesus died for you, including your denial of him. Think about it. Peter is writing this, and yet Peter denied Jesus three times on the night that he was arrested. And he himself writes, he bore our sins in his body on the cross, including the sin of having denied him. By his wounds, you have been healed, made whole, made complete again. Not just our spiritual weakness and illness, not just our spiritual going astray, but our physical illnesses as well are healed by the touch of the shepherd's hand, by the calling of the shepherd's voice, by the strong shepherd's arms. We have healing and wholeness again, spiritual and physical. For you were going astray, 
like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. We are all wandering sheep. We are all sheep that need a shepherd. We are all sheep that need a guardian for our souls. And my brothers and sisters, we have that shepherd. We have that guardian for our souls in Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. I want to encourage you, when you are in your dark night of the soul, when you are wondering, where is God? When you are wondering, what's going on and what am I called to do and be? When you are wondering, why is this happening to me and when will it all end? When you are wondering, what's the purpose and meaning in life? When you are wondering where God is, turn to the Good Shepherd, the guardian of your soul. And He will embrace you and hold you safe and keep you safe. Doesn't mean that you won't face trial and tribulation. Doesn't mean that you won't face difficulties in this life, for you will. Trust me, you will. But so long as you have the Good Shepherd in your life, so long as you have the guardian of your soul in your life holding you, no matter what you face, it will not destroy you. Receive the Good Shepherd anew today. Put out your arms to Him and He will put out His arms to you. For He is already calling your name. Calling you to return. The Good Shepherd and Guardian of your soul, Jesus calls you now. Give thanks and praise to God for the amazing grace, the amazing love of Jesus, the shepherd and guardian of our souls. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. have been listening to a sermon by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of Northgate United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2014 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other sermons by Dr. Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at Northgate United Methodist Church, 3700 West Northgate Drive, Irving, Texas, 75062. 
This program was produced by Dr. Gregory Neal.